from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Every sign points towards vaccination. And right now, we simply don't have the level of vaccinations in the communities we need to protect against spread. Does that mean that people in more rural parts of the state could be in serious trouble? Because these are people that you're not able to take. I'm Sarah Fenske. When Dr. Alex Garza was deployed to Kuwait last summer, the plan was for the St. Louis Metropolitan Pandemic Task Force not to have another commander. Vaccinations had sent local case counts tumbling, and Dr. Garza told us that his duties seemed like they could be divided among his colleagues. Well, the pandemic has not cooperated with that plan. And in July, the task force got a new leader after all, Dr. Clay Dunnigan. Now there's a new variant causing concern and a host of questions as we head into the holiday season. And joining us now with his thoughts is Dr. Clay Dunnigan. He's the head of the St. Louis Metropolitan Pandemic Task Force, and he's also the chief clinical officer for BJC Healthcare. Dr. Dunnigan, welcome. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Dr. Dunnigan, the seven-day average of cases has nearly doubled in the past month in the St. Louis area. Are we looking at another big spike here? Uh, unfortunately, I think that's pretty clearly what's happening right now. The, uh, the current case rates have exceeded where we were in September, and uh, the, this uh, run-up looks very much like it did last fall. Uh, hospital um, census has not quite gotten up to the September peak, but I don't see anything in the near future that suggests we're going to avoid another pretty significant stress on the health system. So when I think of what was happening last Thanksgiving, last Christmas, that felt like sort of the absolute worst time for the St. Louis area in this pandemic. Hospitals were full. A whole lot of people were dying. Is it going to get that bad, possibly, this time around? It is within the realm of possibility. This, the uh, current uh, trajectory in terms of increases in case rates and hospitalizations are very similar. Uh, we have had some decrease in mortality rates that I think is attributable both to our better understanding of how to care for patients as well as the impact of vaccinations in the most vulnerable patient populations. That said, we're still having currently uh, about five or six deaths a day just in the pandemic task force hospitals, and there are more deaths uh, region-wide, and I expect those numbers will increase in the coming weeks. So a big concern throughout all of this has been hospital capacity. Is that a concern at this point? It is. Uh, we, we certainly uh, understand how to manage with the stresses of covid uh, and the current uh, census is not the highest we've had. At other, uh, it's been higher at other points. But we have less reserve capacity. Uh, the the uh, system resources have been stretched pretty, pretty severely. Uh, staffing is a real challenge. There are a number of people who've left the workforce because of uh, just natural attrition and the stresses of the pandemic. And uh, we've had to fall back on agencies which are very expensive, and even the agencies are having trouble filling some of their spots now. So I think we, we have less reserve capacity and are very concerned about our ability to 
maintain our normal uh, healthcare activities plus the added stress of COVID. So what happens if these case counts continue on this trajectory that, that you fear could happen here? We have a number of uh, steps that we take. Uh, so first of all, the uh, system's load level, that is, you know, we try to make sure that we spread the COVID cases and other care across our um, individual hospital systems uh, so that no single hospital gets overrun the way that we saw happen on the East Coast in the very early days of the pandemic. Um, that will carry us only so far. We, we also curtail uh, transfers in from outside of region. So St. Louis is a big referral center for many uh, areas of this part of the country, and we have to shut down those referral lines uh, to some extent. Uh, a third step is to start to cut back on um, we call it elective surgery, but what we really mean are elective procedures. What we really mean are things that could safely be postponed for a while without uh, serious consequences for patients. But even that, as we found in the first couple of waves, um, is really um, not as clear-cut as you would you would think. A, a lot of a lot of surgeries, while they aren't emergent, are really things that need to be done relatively promptly to prevent the spread of cancer, for example, or to forestall a potential um, uh, cardiac event, as another example. So people could so, suffer repercussions um, from this, even people who are not suffering from COVID-19. Absolutely. And we, we've, we've seen that in previous ways where uh, preventive care and some necessary um, uh, non-acute care weren't uh, happening and people have suffered uh, consequences. The mortality rates from other diseases have gone up uh, some during this period because of that. Um, the other thing that happens, of course, is as the hospitals get so full, there is a real slowdown in throughput through our emergency rooms. And right now, waiting times are increasing substantially. And uh, a lot of patients who are acutely ill have to stay in the emergency room to receive care until a bed opens up inside the hospital. You also mentioned um, there, as you're talking about potential things that could happen, closing down these referral lines. Does that mean that people in more rural parts of the state could be in serious trouble? Because these are people that you're not able to take. It's certainly a possibility. And we do our best to accommodate any uh, time-critical diagnosis that needs emergent care. But um, in the previous ways, we did have patients who needed extraordinary technology who couldn't come to the St. Louis region and had to look elsewhere. Uh, that's okay as long as other areas in uh, adjacent states have capacity. Uh, this wave is pretty impressive, though, and it's not clear that those other uh, locations are going to have that capacity. Yeah, when you say this wave is pretty impressive, St. Louis doesn't seem to be unique in having this trouble at this time. This is fair to say this um, This is not just a regional thing happening right now. That's right. Uh, the greatest activity right now has been in the upper Midwest and New England. Uh, but it, if you look at the map and you follow the map, it looks like the southern edge of this um, big run-up is moving south as colder weather sets in. Mm -hmm. I think that's a combination of people moving indoors um, as well as uh, people becoming a little less careful during the holiday season.
So as you mentioned, people becoming less careful. We've been talking a lot about the health care front. There's also a political front here in Missouri. Uh, the state attorney general recently sent a letter to school districts and health departments basically threatening legal action if they try to enforce certain mask mandates. Are you concerned about that in light of what we're talking about already happening at hospitals? I, I am concerned about it. I think it's a very unfortunate uh, emphasis that's being put in this pandemic. Um, we have some clear and pressing problems, and I think that that's diverting attention away from very necessary steps that individuals can take to mitigate their risk of coming down with COVID and to protect those around them who may not have as healthy an immune system or may have other illnesses that compromise them. Uh, we We really... I, I know people are very tired of, of uh, the new uh, advice about continuing to mask and to stay socially distant, but that's really the best protection we have until people get uh, vaccinated. And right now, we simply don't have the level of vaccinations in the communities we need to protect against spread. Yeah, I mean, the vaccinations in Missouri are at almost an embarrassingly low number here. We've got more than 48 percent of the state remains unvaccinated. Do you have any hope that that could change in the coming month? Well, the emergence of the Omicron variant has, um, I think, stimulated interest. And there has been an upturn in the number of uh, first-dose vaccine recipients in the region. So not just people start. getting boosters, people coming in to finally uh, do this. There there are some. And if uh, if you look, for example, at the at the size of the, the uh, statistics that show first-dose, it does show some increase. I, I've been actually uh, more impressed with what's happened in, in uh, our Illinois side of the region. But I think there are people having serious um, questions about, uh, about uh, anti-vaccine stance. Boosters are also uh, clearly playing a role, and there's some preliminary data released today from some very early studies suggesting that uh, booster doses of vaccine may provide substantial protection against the Omicron variant. So I, I think that will convince some others that they, they uh, may want to reconsider so speaking of that Omicron variant, we know that it is here in St. Louis, the city of St. Louis at this point. Should we assume that it's out there spreading? Or do you think this could still be just an isolated case at this point? I think it's tough to know. Our surveillance for uh, genetic variation in, um, in COVID isolates isn't, isn't that robust. It's certainly not as good as uh, South Africa, for example. Uh, and I, I fully expect that that is not an isolated case. I think the, the fact that it's been found in one person almost certainly means that others have it. I also, uh, the speed of the run-up of, in our region has, you know, made me at least ask the question, could we be missing an Omicron, uh, Omicron contribution to the run-up? Mm. We don't have any really compelling evidence for that. Uh, but in the uh, in the event that it, there isn't Omicron here, we're already facing a pretty tough surge, uh, and that would just add fuel to the fire. So some of us who are just looking for reasons to be optimistic at this point are seeing some data from Omicron that suggests that this could be milder. Do you share some of that optimism at this point? It's uh, it's hard not to look for optimism in, uh, in the current. <laughs> Got to find it where we can, that. right? Yeah. <laughs> and and I would say the the preliminary data it's uh, it's sketchy, but it does suggest that it may be somewhat milder. Um, that that's really got to be confirmed. And and one thing to keep in mind is that a lot of the early cases that have been identified, or appear to be in a younger age bracket. 
Uh, one question has been, is it uh, going to differentially affect ages? But, uh, but we can't draw firm conclusions because if it's younger individuals being infected, they you know, automatically have an advantage over older individuals. Uh, but that said, I, I, I think there's, there's good reason to hope that it may well be somewhat milder. For an individual, however, that really shouldn't change decision-making. Right now, uh, I think every sign points towards vaccination being a very substantial protection against the potential for serious disease, hospitalization, and death. Mm-hmm. So it's very important for people to do that. If they haven't done that yet, it's not That's too right. late. That's right. So 5 to 11-year-olds can now get vaccinated, and I'm seeing my friend's kids left and right. Everybody's checking that second vaccine, uh, that box. They're now fully vaccinated. And do you think that could make a difference? People were worried that even though this age group doesn't seem to get quite as sick, that they were maybe a major cause of spreading. Will that help? I, I think that every shot in an arm helps a little bit. And I think that uh, particularly in the most recent waves, um, kids have played a more important role in transmission than previously. And certainly as, as uh, older populations get, uh, get fairly well vaccinated, and even uh, in this region for 65 and older, we see very high vaccination rates, uh, younger people are going to play a more important role. So I have no hesitancy in strongly recommending that people get their, their kids vaccinated, and I do believe that will help temper spread in future days. So as you mentioned, people are just so tired of this pandemic at this point. And I imagine when you took this job in the summer, you were hoping that we would not be at this point as we head into the holiday season. What's the thought you want to leave us with as as we're all thinking about these individual choices we have to make every day? Well, I think that people who make uh, uh, prudent individual choices should take real comfort in the fact that they are they are uh, substantially protected against uh, the the ravages that COVID can bring to uh, individuals. So there is something within people's own grasp, within their own power to do that will protect them and their families. Um, And I think people who've already availed themselves of that should feel confident that their chances of a serious outcome are are substantially reduced. Um, I think uh, we can also be optimistic that as people um, have more experience with this as the, as the pandemic drones on, but uh, we see more and more people vaccinated without significant impact on them, that uh, we'll, we'll continue to get converts. People start to realize that the sensible thing to do is, is to um, get, get vaccinated. And when you're in a, a situation where you don't know uh, if people around you might be infected, to wear a mask and keep socially distanced. I do want to add just one uh, comment that uh, Dr. Garza is now back from deployment uh, just in the nick of time. And uh, going forward, he and I will uh, share responsibilities for the, uh, for the pandemic task force. So it'll be nice to have him back in the region. And I think we're both looking forward to a continued partnership. So you can share a little bit of that workload back with him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, That's we're right. glad that he's back and we appreciate you holding down the fort while he's been gone. Dr. Clay Dunnigan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Great to talk to you. This episode was produced by Evie Hemphill with audio engineering by Aaron Doerr and production assistance from Jane Mather Glass. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio.
understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.